0: Psalm 72, Father, we thank you for this morning, we thank you for your word, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst, and we just ask your blessing, your, just, your continued blessing upon our time together this morning. I pray for the gift of teaching, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 72, uh, this psalm is attributed to Solomon, as it says, Psalm 72, a psalm of Solomon, and who ascended to the throne of his father, King David. It is a psalm where we see Solomon asking for wisdom in ruling over the earthly kingdom of Israel. And this is huge. Which at this point was a kingdom of tremendous wealth. Tremendous wealth. David as well had brought peace to all the borders of Israel, so Solomon inherited a kingdom of substantial military might. You know, from the outside it appeared that Solomon had everything going for him, yet he knew, and this is key for you and I today, he knew that apart from God, all of the earthly things under him would amount to nothing. And that's really important for you and me as well, as we have our careers and we have our children and we have this and we have that. We've got to keep God at the center of our lives. Let's look at First Kings chapter 3. First Kings chapter 3 You see, he needed God's guiding hand to be over his life. 1 Kings 3, 4 says, Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Verse 6, and Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in upright of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God. Notice that. My God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, and I am a little child. Now, we cannot determine exactly how old Solomon was, uh, but scholars have pieced enough together to believe that he's in his 20s. He's most likely in his 20s. So when he says, I'm a little child, think of it as a young man. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? You notice how he just keeps saying yours, 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 yours. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See? I have given you a wise and understanding heart. So there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. So back into the psalm, we're going to see that righteousness is the theme of the opening verses, and Solomon would have surely been taught about the righteousness of God. So Psalm 72, verses 1 through 4. Give the king... Your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressors. You see, Solomon was King David's second son via his wife Bathsheba. If you've been reading your Bible, which I encourage you to do from Genesis to Revelation, you'll remember that their first son died shortly after birth due to the adulterous affair that had taken place between David and Bathsheba. And David knew that God was right, that he was fair, that he was equitable in his judgments. And I firmly believe that David passed that on to All of his children. And David knew that when you have a proper judgment, when you make proper judgments based upon God's word, a person will exercise true righteousness. It's when, as we see taking place in our society more and more today, it's when you do not have, and this is where we are as a country, when you do not have proper or standards of judgment established by the word of God. That righteousness will fall by the wayside. Now don't think of it as self-righteousness, as religion. Righteousness means just being right with God. Being right with God. Religion tries to promote self-righteousness. No, relationship promotes being right with God. And the only way that we, individually or even as a nation, can be right with God is by making sure that we're incorporating God's Word into our lives first and foremost, and then encouraging others around them to do that as well. You see, evil today is being called good, and good is being called evil. Because we have forsaken the Word of God, unfortunately, as a society. But God will always have a remnant. And that's what I want to encourage you guys. Stay focused on the Word of God no matter what happens. Stay focused on the Word of God. Verses 5 through 7. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure. So Solomon starts to speak of God. Throughout all generations, he shall come down like rain on the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. In his days, the righteous shall flourish and abundance of grace until the moon is no more. You see, Solomon uses two objects that represent life represent life, sun, and rain. You see, the king, if he consistently sought after the righteousness of God, the people would be blessed, and he would be as well. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 11 clearly teach us this principle, which is a principle that we should be incorporating into our lives as believers. And when a king or any ruler reigns in biblical righteousness... The people rejoice over that individual. Godly leaders are like sunshine after a refreshing rain. You see, it brings life to those things of importance. Think about it. Without sunshine and rain, the earth will perish. And without godly values even just think about this maybe in your own personal life or someone that you know, every nation will perish. And a nation is made up of individuals. So we as individuals need to be pursuing after being, again, being right with God. Making sure on a daily basis, not that we're becoming more self-righteous, which nobody needs, but just being right with God. Verses 8 through 11, He shall have dominion also over sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him. I think Solomon is speaking of the Messiah here, personally. And his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the Isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him all nations shall serve him. And as we've already seen in throughout the Psalms, all nations will one day come and bow down before God's throne. It will happen. Verses 12-14, through 14, For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy, and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from the oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. You see, Solomon was able to see God's hand over the people. He looked after the ones who were down and out, so to speak. And no one died without God taking notice. And as we see quite often, we have a lot of doves in our our yard. Even the other day, a a little dove fell out of the nest, and I had gloves on, and so I, I picked it up, and I... I put it back in the nest. It was probably two days old. A couple days later, on the ground again. They they build really cheesy nests, these doves. I mean, there's no there's no parapet. It's just if you go off, you go off. Tough luck, kid. But you gotta go to the New Testament. What did Jesus say? That God knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. God knows. And we forget the simplicity, and it's good to get out, as I've often encouraged you guys. It's good to get out and walk around and see the handiwork of God and to be reminded, God, this bird did not fall to the ground without you knowing about it. How much more will you take care of me? How much more will you take care of me? Made in your image. God takes care of us. Verse 15, And he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. You see, gold was of great importance then, and it still is today. But what is even more important? What is more important than gold? Prayers. Prayers of the saints interceding on behalf of those who have been placed in positions of authority. You see, there's no greater gift than to participate on behalf of someone else in the spiritual battle that is taking place. That's why we offer a class on prayer that you can join into. Well, I don't feel comfortable praying. Then come to a class and learn what it's all about. It's not that difficult. But again, the enemy wants to isolate you. He wants to intimidate you. He doesn't want you trying to step out and do what God calls you to do out of fear and intimidation. So you have to press through. You see, when Jesus is ruling and reigning upon this earth for 1,000 years, so think down the road, there are going to be humans that are going to survive the Great Tribulation. We don't know how many, few in number, but they are going to survive. They're going to repopulate the earth. Will those who survived the Great Tribulation be praying for Jesus to make the right choices? He's going to be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. I personally believe they will be. They're humans. God give Jesus wisdom. Well, Jesus is God. He's already got wisdom. Yeah, we know that. We know that. They're humans. They're going to have free will still. They can choose to follow Him, not choose to follow Him. We'll be ruling and reigning with Him. And those who are following Him, I believe that they'll be praying for Jesus. Jesus, make, make wise decisions. Verses 16, there will be an abundance of grain in the earth on the top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those in the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. You see, because the king is following after God Almighty, the land is going to produce an abundance of food. Again, this is a promise that God inst- instructed Moses to write down, because he was faithful to the Jews. He's faithful then, and he will be faithful to anyone, not just Jews, to anyone, who will turn to him, even today. If you're here today and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, if you're not following after God, if you just got him in your head and he's not in your being, your whole being, or in your heart, then you need to invite Jesus into your life. And you'll be amazed at how he will bless you. I don't don't get into this health and wealth nonsense that's on Christian fiction. So when I say that, don't even go down the road of, well, if I give $10, he's going to give me $100 back. That's foolishness. That's God is not the lottery. God is not Vegas. God is God. Let God bless you the way He wants to bless you. But you will see, God will take care of you. Verses seven through seventeen through nineteen. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And we know now what that whose that name is name of Jesus. And men shall be blessed in Him. All nations shall call Him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory, amen and amen. The name of Jesus will last forever. It is because of God's grace through his Son that all the nations of the earth are and will be blessed. It is because of God's grace through His Son that we are not consumed due to our sinful nature. Anybody a sinner in here? Even as a saint? Unfortunately. But hopefully we are sinning less. We'll never be sinless, but we should be sinning less. You see, although it's not obvious now, when Jesus returns, it will be totally obvious then. And Jesus will be ruling and reigning, and there will be no doubt who is sitting on the throne. In verse 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And this, this wraps up the second book of Psalms. Remember that there are five books that make up the whole hymnal of Psalms or songs. And these various books were written over many years by various human authors. So we'll be starting to look at book three now as we start Psalm 73. And that goes from 73 to Psalm 89, hymnal book three. You see, there are Psalms that were written by Asaph, Heman, and Ethan, men who served in the sanctuary during King David's reign, and you can find that reference in 1 Corinthians 15 there, 16 through 23. So, Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. So now again, get this picture. You've been chosen to be one of the singers, one of the lead singers. And here you are in the temple. You are praising. You are worshiping God. Even through your songs, you are exhorting people in various ways. And so this isn't something like on once a week or every now and then. You are doing this on a continual basis, rotating through, getting to be in the temple where so many things... take. I mean, guys, just think about the tabernacle. People are bringing their sacrifices And here there are men standing around singing. People are bringing and coming and and offering up prayers. And here are men standing around singing. All of this hustle and bustle is taking place. And then people are coming to the tabernacle. This is key to this psalm here. People are coming to the tabernacle. Just like we come to church. We have a hustle bustle week, craziness. Maybe it was a good week. Maybe it was a bad week. But then all of a sudden you come to gather and we come to sing songs, and we come to pray, and we come to to listen to the word of God, there's a certain joy, there's a certain peace that takes place in that context. And that's why we come to church. Now this is confusing to people that don't go to church. They go, why should I do that? There's nothing there. You know, it's just religion. If that's what they want to make it, that's what it is. And if that's what you want to make it, that's what it'll be. It'll just be a religious exercise. But if you want to make it, part of your Christian relationship as you build other relationships, coming together, having like-minded people around you. It was a tough week, but now I've got like-minded people around me. That's what fellowship is all about. That's what the church is for. Asaph knew that God was good. And as we read the rest of the psalm, it could appear that Asaph thought differently, but he didn't. You see, he is just going to express... Much the same way that David did his heart to the Lord. And that's key for you and me. There's nothing wrong with expressing your heart to the Lord. And that's what we're going to see with Asaph. You see, not that God didn't already know what was in Asaph's heart, but Asaph needed to, again, as we do at times, we need to express our thoughts. And Asaph was expressing his thoughts to his God. Verses 2 and 3, But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. Notice that. Almost stumbled. So even though we could think, well, boy, Asaph is really, you know, what, what's he, it appears that, that, that he's not trusting in God here. As you read any psalm or as you read any scripture, you want to slow down and read it. Almost. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful. Notice he admits his own sin. Sin, envy is a sin. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Those three words there, the prosperity of, in Hebrew they mean safe, safe. They mean well. They mean happy. They mean friendly. You see, in my mind, those who were doing wicked deeds were being kept safe, and it even appeared that they were advancing in their lives. Does that that sound familiar at all, in the day and age we're living in? While those who were doing what was right were suffering and being left behind. You see, even though Asaph was expressing himself, notice again in verse 2, as I emphasized already, that he said, almost, almost. You see, we all have moments of despair, anxiety, frustration, worry about what other people are doing. We all have that, guys. There's no one that doesn't. It's a guarantee that these moments will happen. But if we surrender our lives to God's will, he will always. He will always bring our feelings and emotions back into the proper perspective of his overall goodness and care for our lives. Verses 4 through 9. For there are no pains in their death. But their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. Food. Fatness. Not lacking. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff. And speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Notice that. Speaking against God. And their tongue walks through the earth. You see, Asaph now goes into what he sees as the life of the wicked. Again, the word trouble. And look, verse 5 there. It means to toil, wearing effort, labor, Are they plagued? Those three words, they mean to touch, to reach, to strike. The wicked just, they're just getting along fine. They're just, everything's going fine for them. God, what's the problem? He continues to express in verses 10 through 12, Therefore his people return here and waters of the full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease, they increase in riches. Notice what Asaph says there, who are always at ease. He's just expressing his heart. And I'd venture to say that you and I, we have people in our lives that we can think this about. They increase in riches, it just gets easier for them while I'm struggling to pay my bills. You see, they make the proclamation that God doesn't know or see what they are doing because they haven't been chastened, because they haven't been disciplined. They equate God's long-suffering, if they even acknowledge God, they equate his long-suffering for God's approval. Well, God's not chastening me. He must be okay with what I'm doing. And unfortunately, I want to warn anyone in here this morning, that even creeps within the church today through living together, through homosexual lifestyle, through gambling, through pornography, through drugs, through alcohol. Well, God's not spanking me. It must be okay. No, God just loves you and He's long-suffering. Don't wait to repent. If that is speaking to you right now, repent right now. Don't play with God's forbearance. Verses 13 and 14. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. Now Asaph just pours out his heart. I've done this in vain. What's the point? What's the point of being a good Christian at work? That other guy over there, look what he does. And he got promoted. He's now my supervisor. I hate that guy. I show up on time. I do my job. And now I've got to submit to him. I hate him. Well, Maybe God's just trying to reach your heart. So, you know, I love that guy and I'm going to pray for him. He doesn't deserve to be there. I deserve to be there. He doesn't deserve to be there. So God, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray that he comes to know you. And that my witness will affect his life somehow, some way. God, make me a faithful witness. Help me love this guy. I don't want to love him. Help me love him. And you know, as you take that mentality, you'll be amazed at what changes. In here. And it won't be a burden to go to work. It won't be a burden to be around those people. It will be a joy because you'll realize, God, maybe you're going to use me today. Maybe you're going to use me today to minister to these people. No one really knows, but you do. You see, Asaph looks to his fellow believers and proclaims that God isn't fair. I've done my best to be my best and it's gotten me nowhere. And instead of moving ahead, instead of getting ahead, instead of enjoying this life, I'm being chastened by the Lord. Paul says something very interesting in Hebrews twelve eleven. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. And, and, you know, I always heard this phrase growing up with parenting. You know, I guess some parents used to say this. I never said this. This is going to hurt me more than you. I never said that. I said, this is going to hurt. It's not going to bother me at all. This is going to hurt. I mean, it's good. Does it bother God to chasten you? Is he up there going, oh, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. No, smack me. (laughs) Let me know. Kick me in the pants, God. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And that's why I didn't grieve over chastening our kids. Because the end goal... Now, I, I did it wrong. Don't get it... Don't You know, I did things wrong initially and I had to learn. I had to grow. I had to mature. Take parenting classes and go, okay, all right, I'm way too harsh. Got to back off here. But this was my desire that they would yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Be right with me. Be right with your siblings. Be right with other people. Be right by being right with God. So it, it does take... It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those... Who have been trained by it? Now we can avoid chastening. We can go around it, and when we do that, what are we doing? We're avoiding it. We're not addressing it, and then we don't have peace. Again, in in, in counseling, um, <laughs> sometimes I just look at Christians, and I just tell them, You're, "What are you doing?" They can hear the desperation in my voice. I'm like, "This is so simple. What are you doing?" You you know this is not scripture, what you're doing. Yes, we do. (laughs) Then why do you keep going around? Stop going around. Go to the word of God and do what God asks you to do. Let him spank you. Get trained by that. And then you will have peace as they're sitting there crying in the office. As they have anxiousness in their life and frustration in their life. Let God spank you. Even recently, a person has told me that. They said, you know what? I do have to get to that place because I'm not. They admitted it. And I said, well, do it. Save yourself all this pain. And, and just be trained in God's household. Verses 15 and 16. It's not easy, but God does it with love. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful to me. How can I explain the wicked not having any of these issues that we have? And as a believer, if you're not into the Christian fiction, if you're into reality and true Christianity, it is very hard to explain to an unbeliever and even to some believers. Well, why are you going through this if you serve an awesome God? Why did your wife get cancer? I thought you served God. Well, you know what? I do have a a reason. Because God's on the throne. He knows better than I do. That's enough for me. Oh, you're stupid. Thank you. Praise God. I'd rather be dumb with God. You see, if Asaph would have compromised with or defended the wicked, he would have been untrue to the word of God. He just couldn't understand why the wicked advanced while the believers didn't. But he also knew what they were doing was considered evil or wicked. And that's for you and me as well this morning. Because verse 17 now, we come to the pivotal point of the psalm. And I have this highlighted in my Bible. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. You see, once Asaph got alone with God, this is the key, guys, for you and me this morning. Here's the practical application for you and me as we look at our government, we see the corruptness going on, we don't know what news is real, what news is fake. I, I, don't, I don't know. And Do you really? Can I change it? No. But I can have an influence on maybe those two, four, six people around me throughout the week. I could have a very positive Christian influence or I could have a very negative Christian influence and get in there and whine and complain about everything that I could not change anyways or I can help just lift people's eyes to heaven and that takes alone time that takes alone time that takes you that takes me spending that time meditating every day on God's word That God is far more concerned with the eternal than with the temporal. We get all worked up with the temporal. Do you know what's taking place? We've got a new president, in case you haven't figured that out. The one that everybody was worked up with for eight years is no longer president. And we've got a new one. So what good did it do getting all worked up for those past eight years individually? And I would I would just like to question and challenge those Christians that were so worked up for eight years. Did you read your Bible as much as you complained about the president? Were you at our Saturday morning prayer meeting from 8.30 to 9.30 where we pray for our president, whether he's Republican, Democrat, independent, Christian, non-Christian? Were we pray for our president every single Saturday? Were you at the prayer meeting by chance? What did you do in the spiritual world besides whining and complaining? we got to have that alone time because when we have that alone time and then when we come together as a flock, it gets us refocused on the eternal. That this life is fleeting, it's passing, it's but a vapor, it's but a few moments and then we're heading home. You see, when we spend that quality time in the Word of God, again, our lives will come into focus. You see, oftentimes, unfortunately, and I see this so many times in the ministry, it takes a major calamity to bring us to that place. And I think, you know, just off the top of my head, I think being in the ministry and doing marriage ministry for over 30 years has spared our marriage so many things. When we see couples sitting on our sofa, because we, we did marriage ministry for many years at 8 o'clock at night, from 8 to 10 o'clock at night, one, two, three nights a week. And seeing couples sitting on our sofa crying and weeping and all the challenges that they were having. And that was such a blessing for us, not that they were having those problems, but just a blessing for us when they would leave, we'd go, well, we're not going to do that. Yeah, let's learn from them, huh? Yeah, no, we're not doing that, are we? No, we don't want to do that. And so we have, unfortunately, we have avoided a lot of major calamities in our lives by observing other people's calamities. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. You see, that place of reprioritizing our lives and giving God center stage once again. And here we see that this is what Asaph did. He went to that place of quiet meditation, that place dedicated to God, the tabernacle. Now, for you and me today, we could be here at church, but obviously it should be throughout the week. It was that place that he remembered and refocused his mind upon the eternal. Because then he goes on to say, Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Asaph now moves into reality. He goes from feelings and emotions to facts. In a moment, this life is over and the wicked will face their eternal state. And this grieved Asaph, for he understood what that meant. Eternity. So he goes on to say in 18 through 20, or I mean, it continues to go on in verse 21. This Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. Ignorant means unlearned. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. And again, I have that, just that part of the verse highlighted. You hold me by my right hand. And I've used this often, this analogy. But, you know, we, ha- we have, a, you know, our, our grandson's living with us. He's going on four years old. And there's times where I'm just walking through the yard. He lo- He's got his work boots. He's got his work gloves. He's got his hat. He loves being out with Papa doing work. And there's times where I'm just walking through the backyard and he'll just come up and he'll slip his hand into my hand. And we'll walk out and do whatever we're going to do. There's other times when we're out at Walmart or wherever we might be, and I have to grab his hand because he's going to be off. And, as a matter of fact, we lost him in Costco a couple weeks ago. <laughs> that was that was pretty scary. I just went to the front doors. Claudia was freaking out. We got people involved. We found him. It took about three minutes. It wasn't that big a deal. I was just watching people as they came out, checking for him. But, you know, that's, that's kind of gripping when you, all of a sudden, you I thought he was with you. No, I let him walk over to you. I don't know where he is. What do you mean you don't know where he is? That didn't go over good with Grandma. <laughs> I don't know. I'll go to the front door. You get a clerk. And so they found him. But anyways, you know, you got to grab their hand. And that's just reassuring. When somebody grabs your hand, you're not out just grab. you know. No, somebody grabs your hand. I'm right here. I'm right here. And you're not getting away from me. And he wanted to go. After we found him, he started to cry. He didn't understand why he couldn't do again what he just did. They don't. They don't understand. And as Christians, sometimes we just don't understand why God grabs our hand and just squeezes it a little bit harder. No, no, you're coming over here. You're coming over here. And we may try to pull away. Don't pull away. Just go. God knows what is best. He really does. Even though Asaph had those thoughts, which were not ungodly thoughts, he he knew that God had not abandoned him, but was holding him by his right hand. And again, the right hand is symbolic of authority. You see, God is always with us, and he will always hold us. He will forever guide us, and when this life is all over, praise God, he will receive us into his glorious presence. And I like that. It's short, it's sweet, and it doesn't get any better than that. Whom have I in heaven, as he wraps it up? Again, all of those thoughts, all of those thoughts come down to this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. Isn't that an incredible thought right there? Remember last week I mentioned to you about what would a person look like if they followed you all week? How did that go? How did that go? I hope you did that. If you didn't, do it again this week. Would they be more like Jesus? Or would they be a sluggish person? My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Notice the eternal perspective. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish, eternally separated from you. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. The wicked may do their declaring about themselves and what they have going for them. God, I'm going to declare you and what you have done in my life. That's what I'm going to declare. Father, we thank you and praise you for you are a good God and you are a faithful God. And even when things are not going our way, you are still good and you are still faithful. Our minds try to tell us other things. The enemy tries to whisper into our minds those untruths. And so, Father, help us to never receive the lies or meditate on the lies, or but rather just to lay them aside and stay focused on the eternal truth. That you are God, and you know what's best for me, for my wife, for my family, for this flock. You know what is best. Lord, help us to apply practically these truths this morning. As this week we go out and we hear about the wicked, and we see how some of them are even advancing. It's all going to burn. It's all temporary. Lord, help us to remember that. That when they take their last breath they don't have jesus if they don't have you they are stepping into eternal damnation for us lord our last breath is eternal glorification help us to keep that proper perspective that we might minister to the wicked as someone ministered to us we were wicked but you sent someone to reach us Father, send us this week as we go out into our mission field, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods. There's wicked people out there. That's obvious. Lord, help us to be available that we might show them, that we might point them to God, to you, Father. And that we might have opportunity to share about your one and only son, Jesus, and what he has done in our lives and how we are now focused on eternal things versus the temporal. Lord, we do pray in these days we're in, as your word said, they would come, and here they are. We do pray for our president. We do pray for our vice president. We pray for those in Congress and Senate, for the Supreme Court justices. We pray for our state, and even for our town here. Those who make decisions over Queen Creek. Lord, we pray that we could have an influence upon them. Mostly that we'd be able to share the gospel with them. For their rule, their authority is so short-lived. Lord, help us to pray for those who are in authority over us on a regular basis. That's what your word says to do. Help us as Asaph did to, to bring our emotions to you. And then to leave them there. And to get back in the facts of the word. To pray Pray and pray some more. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. All right, men, remember, Wednesday night, find Dan Orszewski and come at 6 o'clock. You men that are serving this Wednesday night, be here at 6 o'clock so that you can know what you're to do at 6.30 because kids are showing up. They are going to be here. We also have the parenting class starting this Wednesday night. And Bill, you're still doing doing the Bible study on Wednesday night. So there's a lot of things going on Wednesday night. Please don't show up at 6.40. Be on time. Be here at 6.15, 6.20. Get here on time. Let's get everybody where they need to go so everybody can enjoy their night. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We would love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Have a great day.
1: sing, You Be Lifted High. You be lifted high. You be lifted higher. I belong to you. I am nothing without you. You be lifted high. You be lifted high. I to You. I have nothing without You. In every victory, in every victory, in every trial, my soul will sing. Be lifted high with every heartbeat, all of my life. Jesus, forever be. Lifted.